Thanks for tuning in. One of the things that makes a program like Outcasting possible is financial support from listeners like you. Please visit us at outcastingmedia.org and click on support to make your tax-deductible contribution. Thanks. Since the topic of transgender discrimination was not really out in the public, there was no major discussion about it. You didn't see it on, on TV or read about it in the newspaper. The reality was is that we were basically a, a, a hidden community. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York, online at outcastingmedia.org. Hi, I'm Andrew. In January 2019, New York State passed Agenda, the Gender Expression Non-Discrimination Act, a statewide law prohibiting discrimination based on gender identity or expression. Even in a relatively liberal state like New York, it can be difficult to enact protections for LGBTQ people. A number of cities within New York State had already enacted protections for transgender people, but getting them enacted statewide was more difficult. Gender was in the works for over 20 years and was enacted only after the blue wave election of 2018. On this edition, Outcaster Alex talks about Genda with the longtime transgender activist Julie Gray Owens. She's also the executive director of Gender Equality New York. Genda was originally sponsored by New York State Assemblyman Richard Gottfried, who also sponsored the marriage equality bill that was eventually passed in New York in 2011. In 2013, Outcaster David interviewed Assemblyman Gottfried about Genda. Let's listen to a short excerpt. What kinds of challenges do you think transgender individuals face, particularly transgender youth? Well, a lot. There is certainly a lot of discrimination, a lot of antagonism, sometimes physical threats or violence, lack of understanding or acceptance often from family members or friends. I think less so than it used to be, transgender people often find they are or were in the past often not accepted or valued by some of the lesbian and gay community. And you still occasionally see that. And that was, of course, I think for many people, a very distressing kind of discrimination. How do you think gender might help them meet those challenges? People have argued for decades, whether it was about racial equality, civil rights legislation, or the gay rights bill, etc. People have always argued whether changing the law changes people's behavior or changes what's in their hearts. I believe that it really does. I think it matters to people's attitudes what they think society accepts. And if society through law says discriminating against transgender people is wrong, then I think in some cases quickly, but in more cases over time, people will come to accept that. Also, people's outward behavior gets affected by law, and that at least will protect people from many degrees of discrimination. But also, I think when we change our behavior, that also feeds back and changes what's in our hearts. And so I have always believed that civil rights legislation really does make a difference. I believe those messages 
really reach people's hearts and minds. And so that even in areas that are not affected by the law, areas like who you should be friends with, how you should feel about people, I think it genuinely affects behavior and feelings and thoughts in those areas as well. You can find Assemblyman Gottfried's interview on our website, outcastingmedia.org. Now we turn to Alex's conversation with Julie Gray Owens. Welcome back to Outcasting, Julie. Great to be back. You joined us for a great interview several years ago, talking in general about transgender people and what trans lives are like. Listeners can find that interview on our website, outcastingmedia.org. It's great to have you back. It's a pleasure. Now you're here to talk about GENDA, the Gender Expression Non-Discrimination Act, which was finally enacted this year by New York State. Let's start by talking about your transgender activism. Okay. Uh, Well, in 2003, I started getting involved, learning a little bit more about our community and some of the issues that our community is facing. And um, very slowly, I guess, I started getting involved wherever I could to do whatever I could to help educate people about our community and make people aware of, you know, some of the issues that our community had. In 2008, I was asked to join the Empire State Pride Agenda, which really opened my eyes to state government, having an opportunity to meet the governor, meeting senators and assembly members. So it really had a big impact on my advocacy work. And once I left, shortly thereafter, the Empire State Pride Agenda went out of business and it became very clear. We lost, we lost all the work that was done with the Empire State Pride Agenda, the contact lists, everything was shot. Uh, and there was no longer a statewide advocacy organization for specifically the transgender community who still had a lot of issues politically and uh, legislatively to take care of. So we started working on organizing our community in 2015 and started holding what we called at that time transgender town halls, where we actually went across the state and uh, held them in eight different locations and started getting an idea of some of the issues that the community was facing. And um, shortly thereafter, uh, we incorporated to Gender Equality New York and uh, put together a board from, as I mentioned earlier, across the state and um, recently started putting together what we call transgender forums where we uh, educate the general public, give them a trans 101 and also have panelists, community members come and speak about their life experiences and hopefully, you know, you win their hearts and minds. To get into some of the issues that transgender advocacy addresses, we know that LGBTQ people are at a heightened risk of discrimination. Are transgender and gender non-binary people at an even higher risk than gay, lesbian, and bisexual people? I would say yes. And the reason that I would say that is, um, for example, unless a gay or lesbian person shows any kind of outward affection to someone they might be with, other than that, they get on the bus, no one knows that they're gay. They get off the bus. No one knows that they're gay. With the trans community or non-binary community, it's probably pretty obvious in many cases that we are transgender or we are non-binary. And that means that it's like having a sign hanging over our head constantly of who we are. And that brings in a whole lot of automatic discrimination and uh, potential violence wherever we go. About the discrimination against trans people, what forms does that take? Well, it can take a lot of different uh, forms. Obviously, specifically, we worry about housing, we worry about employment, and we worry about public services. But those things extend into health care, homeless shelters, issues regarding uh, violence against our community, 
And the impact of that on our community usually means high numbers in suicide attempts. So it's clear that laws are needed to put in place to provide protection against trans people. In New York State, it's called GENDA, or the Gender Expression Non-Discrimination Act. It was finally enacted in early 2019 in New York State. First, tell us what GENDA is. It is uh, now a law, but originally a bill, which would protect the uh, New York State transgender and non-binary community from discrimination in housing, employment, and public accommodations, which is actually public access or public services. What kinds of discrimination does gender protect against for gender non-binary and transgender people? Well, specifically, what it means is, is that now that the law is passed, and to be perfectly honest with you, court cases were already directing the courts to, to go in the same direction that this law uh, now covers. But basically, we have the same rights as anyone else. There are protected classes in New York State, um, age, race, religion, point of origin, you know, many different protected classes. And we are now a protected class. So just like, for example, any type of discrimination that you might do to someone because of their religion or because of someone's race, that same type of discrimination is now illegal for someone's gender identity or gender expression. So gender is able to address those issues that you mentioned, but what are some things that cannot be directly addressed by law or some things that gender does not address? Well, some of the things that we're looking at are improving school policies. For example, one, one of the bills that we're now looking at is expanding gender-neutral restrooms in all public areas. One example of that would be, you know, sometimes when you go into a McDonald's, there's a men's room to the left and a ladies' room to the right, and it's a single stall, not any kind of multiple uh, people in it or anything like that. But there is a, a sign that says, no, no, this is just for men and this is just for women. One of the bills we're looking at trying to get passed would take both those bathrooms and make them gender neutral. So that means anyone can use that bathroom. Uh, that will also be a very big positive for cisgender women who are always standing in line for way too long. Right. Some large cities and counties in New York State already had protection for transgender people before gender was passed. For these places, why is it important for all these regional laws to be standardized? Well, what would happen, uh, we saw it on Long Island. Suffolk County, which is the furthest east part of Long Island, was protected. You would go into Nassau County, which is sort of central part of Long Island. There were no explicit protections. And then when you went further west, you would run into Queens and Brooklyn, where there were protections. So depending on where you were traveling, where you were taking a public service, like maybe eating in a restaurant or where you worked, it would have an impact on whether or not you had protections depending on where it was located. We saw the same thing in upstate New York where many of the upstate cities had protections. But once you got outside of those city limits, what ended up happening was is that you were fair game for discrimination. Let's talk about the history of gender now. When and why was it first introduced? Well, um, gender was introduced in 2003, almost directly after the governor at that time passed the Sexual Orientation Non-Discrimination Act, better known as SONDA. What had happened was um, during the 90s, advocacy groups, LGB advocacy groups, started putting together a bill called SONDA, which uh, would protect them in the areas of housing, employment, and public accommodations or public services. And it took until 2002 for it to finally pass through the Assembly and Senate. But prior to that, uh, transgender activists had asked 
to add the term gender identity and gender expression as part of the, the protected class in that uh, bill. And unfortunately, it was decided by the leaders of those advocates, you know, pushing Sonda that, um, no, that would not be a good idea. We won't be able to get the bill passed. And so as a result, they made sure that the bill did not include the terminology needed to protect the transgender and non-binary community. And we were told basically at that time, don't worry, this passed, we'll get you next year. And the reality was is that um, once gender was written in 2003, we, uh, as of 2008, I believe was the first year that it passed through the assembly, but the New York State Senate refused to bring the bill to the floor for a vote. Uh, at that time, uh, the Republican-led Senate uh, referred to the gender bill as the bathroom bill. Uh, and again, most people in the audience probably understand where that comes from. So the big thing for, uh, for the passage of gender was basically this last November's election when the blue wave occurred. And um, I personally think we uh, should thank President Trump for, for <laughs> uh, creating such a backlash to his policies that it allowed the Democrats to take control of the Senate. And for us, we had expected that there would be a battle still um, and probably take us maybe four months to finally get the bill passed. We were really unprepared for the bill to be passed on the third day of the session. Thrilled, but totally unexpected. Right. And that's really a very short history of... Uh, I can't tell you hundreds and hundreds of meetings and conference calls and visits and arguing with the staff of the governor and arguing with the staff of the Senate leader and so on and so forth. But um, the end result is, God, thank God, it's finally passed. So back to Sonda. The people advocating for Sonda thought that adding protections for trans people would make Sonda impossible to enact. It wouldn't pass the assembly. Right. At that moment, when it became clear that Sonda was not going to include protections for transgender people, or in the years later, when that mark, the, the one year later that they promised for gender protections, that, that was not a reality. What did trans advocates do? Trans advocates, especially at that point in time, were probably not out as far as they are now. Um, you have to remember that um, early 2000s is very much different than what we might have seen in 2010, for example. And certainly today is a lot different than what was in 2010. I think at that time, and I'm just speaking from my own opinion, uh, I think that we relied way too much on um, LGB organizations and advocates to help us get this work done. And that's one of the things that our organization has taken a look at. And really our, our code word is, you know, for us, by us, so that we would look to take care of our own community. Uh, and we started actually doing some heavy lifting in 2015 when we started organizing our, our, uh, our advocacy organization. What arguments would you make for trans rights being included in the original Sonda? Or would you argue that trans rights are more effective and more clear to the population separate from LGB rights? I would argue that it would be better to have all of us on the same bus and the bus travel forward. Okay. Um, if, for example... Uh, people on the bus won't allow us on it, then we're going to have to take our own little bus and do what we have to do. But it would always be better to have a community, LGBTQIA+, everyone on the bus uh, working to get the rights passed. Uh, there are sections of that community 
and I'm talking about the whole community together, uh, where financially they may be better off and we need their assistance. For example, gay, white, cisgender men uh, are in a much better place to be able to help the community from a standpoint of dollars. Transgender women of color are barely alive, you know, barely able to keep themselves alive. So you can't look to them to, to make donations to help an LGBT advocacy organization move forward. So we all have talents that we bring to the table, but some of us have talents plus, <laughs> and those talents plus are what's needed to pass the type of bills that we need, the legislation that we need. Right. Um, regardless if they were valid or not, what were the rationales for separating trans rights out of Sonda? I think that um, their rationale was the better good for the most, uh, the largest group of people. I also think that, unfortunately, the decision contained a little bit of transphobia in there as well. Obviously, getting a bill passed protecting um, LGBT people was the bigger percentage of the community. Unfortunately, what it does, though, is it takes the weakest part of the community and the smallest group of people and the group of people who are actually in hiding and hangs them out to dry. And I wish that I could say that everybody got it right away. And I believe it was 2007, uh, the Human Rights Campaign, HRC, decided to exclude transgender language in the Employment Non-Discrimination Act. Now, there was an outcry and they reversed their position, but it was very obvious that valuing our community seemed to be at at a low end, if you will. So this is one of the reasons why I guess some of our some of us older activists always have a very weary eye, uh, you know, wary eye rather, on what's being done, because it has been a regular situation that we have not gotten the protections and we have not gotten the support from other members in the community. This is Outcasting, Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program. Produced in New York by Media for the Public Good, online at outcastingmedia.org. On this edition of Outcasting, Outcaster Alex is speaking with longtime activist Julie Gray Owens, the executive director of Gender Equality New York, about GENDA, the Gender Expression Non-Discrimination Act, which was enacted statewide in New York in early 2019 after an effort of 20 years. Why do you think it's so easy for LGB people to be transphobic? I think the problem is, is that it has nothing to do, as we, as we talk about, gender has nothing to do with sexual orientation. When you talk about LGB people, you are talking about cisgender people. Cisgender people in a large quantity do not get gender identity and gender expression. They have this idea that it's somehow this weird thing that, you know, they just don't get. And, and because I like to, I like to describe gender and gender identity and gender expression as like a, a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh, okay. Um, cisgender people see a grilled cheese sandwich as a sandwich. It's a sandwich. Trans and non-binary people see a grilled cheese sandwich as bread and cheese, not one thing. And I think that's, that's – I, I try to get that message across that, that it, uh, everyone gets this idea of uh, – everyone understands at least now – that sexual orientation is now separate from gender. People are getting that. But they still have a problem with this whole idea of gender being somehow doesn't match your biological tissue that you're born with. Somehow that's supposed to lock in. Unfortunately, it doesn't. 
What were the consequences of trans rights being left out of Sonda? What effect did that have in New York State in the following years? Well, 17 years of um, no explicit protections. Uh, luckily, uh, there were a couple things that happened. The governor came out with a uh, set of regulations at the end of 2015 and signed them into place in uh, January of 2016, which basically said to the courts, these were regulations, that they needed to look at transgender discrimination as sex discrimination and gender dysphoria as uh, disability. And that continued with the way the courts were already starting to rule. So thank God for that. And thank God for the governor taking those steps. However, the fact that, first of all, many good people in the general public thought that transgender people were covered under Sonda, which was not the case. And the second part of it was, is that people who were not necessarily friendly and not necessarily aware, since no one ever talked about it, it must be okay to discriminate against transgender people. And as a result, 17 years of pain for our community. Beyond the prevention of discrimination, laws can set forth what values and um, what people a society approves of and what a society should feel is important. When marriage equality passed, it sent a broader message about equality and dignity for gay people to the nation and to the world. Tell us about the absence of protections for trans people for so many years and the message that sent to society. Well, as we talked about before, since the topic of transgender discrimination was not really out in the public, there was no major discussion about it. You didn't see it on, on TV or read about it in the newspaper. The reality was is that we were basically a, a, a hidden community. Further, members of our community have either lived in stealth or have been hiding because of the fact that they did not want to have either violence against them or discrimination against them. So we had a situation where the general public was never being informed about our community and people who could tell the general public about what was going on were actually in hiding. So we had this never-ending cycle that no one talked about it, no one could talk about it because if they talked about it, they put themselves at risk for violence and discrimination. So it was just a cycle that just kept happening and kept happening and kept happening. What about now that Genda has passed? For the people in New York State, what does that say? I think that um, although it really wasn't necessary from a court standpoint, I really think that it had a major impact not only on the general public because now there was all of a sudden articles about the fact that the law had passed. I can tell you that through other organizations, I actually have received two what I will call warning letters, letting organizations know that this law has passed and they have to be careful now with their employment and how they handle, you know, the transgender members of the transgender non-binary community. So I think that's very positive as well. But I also think that from a standpoint of the community itself, we had this heavy chain around our neck, which was getting gender passed. And now that that chain has been taken off our necks, the reality is, is that we can now start looking at some important legislation to protect our community that will further impact our community members, whether it's laws in education and respect for our trans kids and our non-binary kids and, you know, in, in public schools, all the way through to some of the rights that um, some of our community members may have lost 
because they might have been, for example, a service member that was found out that was trans and thrown out of service and not given a proper recommendation leaving the service, if you will. You mentioned that now that gender has been passed in New York, it's not mission accomplished. What else is there still to do in New York State for trans rights? You mentioned a couple of those things. Well, there's, there's a whole bunch of different things, for example. Uh, one of the things would be to allow a third gender on driver's license, uh, what we call an X. That would be very positive for those community members that are non-binary. If we take a look, for example, at ban- uh, banning the uh, gay and trans panic defense, uh, that's a big deal. Uh, and I'm not sure that everyone knows what that is, but basically it would be a law that would restrict uh, the use of a defense in court of, oh my God, I didn't know they were trans. Uh, I lost my mind and that's why I murdered them. That's not okay. That's not okay. Clearly not, not okay. Clear not, yeah. Clearly not okay. Uh, so that's one of the things that we're working on as well. So there's a lot of different things, um, regulations, but especially uh, when we talk about our young people, schools are a big issue and there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. There's a lot of work that needs to be done from a standpoint of uh, getting funds and money for our homeless youth and not just trans people, but, but um, LGBTQ people. New York City happens to be a mecca for kids from all over the country to come to New York City because they think it's a safe place. Well, the reality is we don't have enough homeless beds for all the kids that are coming. And so they're sleeping out on the street. They're forced to do uh, survival sex. There's a lot of negativity, a lot of things that have to be changed there. What kind of work will all of these things take? (laughs) Massive. A lot of work. (laughs) A lot of work. And um, there's going to be some money needs. Um, You can't do this for free. And the problem is, is that our community does not have the kind of dollars that are necessary. So we really have to look outside our community for allies, whether they be LGB or, or straight. Your group, G-E-N-Y, Gender Equality New York, what kind of work do you do for trans and non-binary rights in New York? Well, we do a lot of work in advocating and educating. Uh, we spend a lot of time up in Albany uh, the past couple of years making sure that legislators understood why gender was needed, what it was all about, some of the issues about discrimination and so forth. Uh, We also did a Trans 101 with with our legislators to give them basic concepts and terminology. Uh, We're now on a statewide public education campaign. Uh, We are doing transgender forums across the state, making people aware of of our community. And by what we do is we do a Trans 101 presentation where we give the concepts and the wording and, you know, get people to understand what gender is all about and what our community is all about. Uh, But then included in that is we'll have a panel of between five and eight community members that will come and just talk about their lives. They'll talk about good things. They'll talk about bad things. They'll talk about goals. But that helps humanize our community. And by doing this across the state, uh, we believe that it's an important educational – the educational work is needed to get people around New York State to understand our community a little bit better. And hopefully that has an impact at both uh, whether it's employment, whether how people are treated at a restaurant, uh, how kids are treated at school. These are all extremely important things. That's all the time we have for now. Julie Gray-Owens, thank you for joining us. It was a pleasure. Julie Gray-Owens is a longtime transgender activist. She's the executive director of Gender Equality New York. That's it for this edition of Outcasting. 
Public Radio's LGBTQ youth program, where you don't have to be queer to be here. This program has been produced by the Outcasting team, including youth participants Alex, Amelie, Drew, Lucas, and me, Andrew. Our executive producer is Mark Sophus. Outcasting is a production of Media for the Public Good, a listener-supported independent producer based in New York. More information about Outcasting is available at outcastingmedia.org. You'll find information about the show, listen links for all Outcasting episodes, and the podcast link. Outcasting is also on social media. Connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. If you're having trouble, whether it's at home or school or just with yourself, call the Trevor Project hotline at 866-488-7386 or visit them online at thetrevorproject.org. The Trevor Project is an organization dedicated to LGBTQ youth suicide prevention. Call them if you have a problem. They even have an online chat you can use if you don't want to talk on the phone. Again, the number is 866-488-7386. Being different isn't a reason to hate or hurt yourself. You can also find a link on our site, outcastingmedia.org, under Outcasting LGBTQ Resources. I'm Andrew. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this edition of Outcasting, please make your tax-deductible contribution today. We can't do programs like this without your support. To make your donation, please visit us at outcastingmedia.org and click on support. And connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at Outcasting Media. Thanks.